Well, morning, church. How are you? Good. It's good to see you today, and I am glad that you guys are here. Uh, hey, before we uh, jump in for today, I wanted to remind you of a couple different things. Uh, one, we got a special event coming up in two Wednesdays I would really love for you to be a part of. It is a night of prayer and worship. Uh, we actually have never done a night like this before. Now, you might say, Adam, I, I, I think we have. Uh, you might remember we've done nights of worship before where we've come in and had special nights where it's just a lot of worship. We've also had prayer nights uh, where we've come in and we've done some very interactive types of prayer. Uh, but we've never done kind of those two things together. Uh, and so that's really what we're doing. It's a night of prayer and worship. It's going to be very interactive. Uh, we're going to have some times of worship, but also times for us to be able to pray uh, as a group, to pray uh, together. Uh, and look, I don't think there's any more powerful thing that you and I can be doing as a church than praying. Amen. Uh, we need to be bringing ourselves before the Lord, asking Him to, to lead and to guide us. And so this is unbelievably important for all of us, but I would love for you to be a part. Uh, we've got child care up through pre-K. After that, everybody's invited to be in here. Uh, last about an hour, uh, but that is happening not this coming Wednesday, but the following Wednesday. So go ahead and put that on your calendar. Wednesday, July the 19th at 6.30 right here in this room. Man, I am very excited uh, for what this night is gonna be. I'm just excited to participate myself. I think it's gonna be great. So make sure you come. Uh, second, don't forget that we've got our team in Ensenada. They left yesterday. They are on the field. We've got over 40 of our folks uh, who are out there. They're going to be building. They're going to be sharing the gospel, doing lots of different things. So uh, be sure to remember those guys, even if you don't know anybody specifically, but especially if you do, be lifting them up in prayer as they're out on the field in Ensenada this week. But now grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 as we're continuing our new series uh, called Proverbs, The Way of Wisdom. Uh, and hopefully you are tracking along with us. Last week, we actually started a plan to read through the entire book of Proverbs as a church. Uh, we gave you these cards uh, that are still available out here over on the left. You can grab one, uh, but we're doing five chapters a week. And so if you are not here with us, man, grab a card on your way out. You can start with chapter one. You can start in chapter six just to get on the page with us. But man, go through with us as we read through this entire book. Uh, and if you weren't here last with us, if it's your first week, welcome. Glad you're here. Uh, but I do hope you'll even go back and check out last week's sermons. Proverbs is a very interesting type of book. Uh, it's very unique, and so understanding how to read it is important. You can grab a lot of that from last week's message as well. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 is where we'll start in just a second. Uh, let me see this while you're turning there. I wonder if you've ever had a desire in your life to be fearless. You ever wanted that before? You ever just pray that prayer, God, make me fearless. Uh, that seems like something that we would all aspire to, especially if you've ever dealt with any form of anxiety or anything like that. You might say, Adam, I, would just, I wish I could be fearless, brave, confident, that no matter what situation I find myself in, I just wouldn't be held back or held in check by any type of fear. I could be completely and totally fearless. And I get that. That sounds really great. It really does. But, but I wonder if we could just kind of play that out. What would it be like to be completely fearless. Like imagine having zero fear about anything and what your life would actually turn into. We have some few rare occasions where you can actually see this play out. There's an exceedingly rare disease called Urbach-Weathy disease. Uh, it is a, a rare type of brain uh, damage that happens in certain people. There's only been 400 known cases that they've ever been able to document worldwide. It's incredibly rare. But with this disease, these people lose all fear. They do not feel it. 
I don't mean they overcome their fear. It never occurs to them. They live their life with zero fear whatsoever. Now, you might be thinking, Adam, that sounds great. Imagine what I could do if I had zero fear, but it is not really as great as you might think. There was a lady about 30, 40 years ago that they really were able to study uh, who had this and they watched her walk through life. And if she went to the zoo or a pet stop, she would just reach out for poisonous snakes without thinking about it because she has no fear. Why wouldn't you do that? You can dance on the edge of a cliff. Get that selfie. Why? Doesn't matter. I mean, what's going to happen? I mean, you got no fear. She was once attacked by a guy with a knife and she was actually able to get away from him. And when she got away from him, she did not run away. She walked away because she's got no fear. It doesn't matter. She literally had her life in danger and it did not matter. She doesn't have any fear. Uh, look, what we're finding out is, is that look, excessive fear is obviously a bad thing. Excessive fear can paralyze you. Excessive fear can hold you back. But no fear whatsoever can be just as bad. Turns out you actually need just a little bit of fear if you're going to make wise choices. You need a little bit of fear if you're going to make the wisest choices in life. And we're going to find out from the scriptures that there's a very particular kind of fear that you and I all need to have if we're going to walk in this way of wisdom. So let's look at Proverbs chapter 1, uh, verse 7. And notice what it says here. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let's read that again. Because remember, in all of these, there's a lot packed in here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. All right, there's a couple things going on in this verse. One, we're, we're right here at the beginning of the book, but you see these really terse, these poetic lines that have really been honed and, and refined to, to pack a lot of meaning in a small package. Secondly, you see a, a distinction between the wise person and the fool. All right, the wise person follows after the Lord. The wise person walks in the way of wisdom. But if you don't do that, Proverbs is gonna describe that person as foolish. This person is a fool. And we're actually going to look at that more in depth next week. We'll look at the dichotomy between those two things. But, but this is really what commentators would say. This is probably the thesis statement of the entire book. This is setting the stage for everything else you will read in the book of Proverbs. That's right, why it's right here at the beginning, the end of this, this first little section. You've got this call to everyone. Anybody who wants wisdom, come read. Anybody who wants wisdom and instruction, this is where you're going to find it. But verse 7 sets the tone for everything else you're going to find. And look what it says. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So this morning, we need to understand what does that mean? What does it look like to have the fear of the Lord in your life? So let's define our terms. Let's really kind of break this down and see what we have here. First off, let's look at that word wisdom as well as the word knowledge. You see those words in the two verses. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And then in the next line, fools despise wisdom and instruction. Those two words are synonymous. When you read the book of Proverbs, you're going to find a few words that he just kind of cycles through. Words like wisdom, instruction, uh, knowledge, discretion, uh, because he's doing poetry here, he can't just use the same word over and over. So he'll, he'll roll these through. But in some places, there might be some more nuance. Here, these words are, are virtually interchangeable. In fact, let me show you another proverb. This is Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. Uh, and notice what it says here. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. 
and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Okay, similar proverb, they're saying almost the exact same thing, but they flip the two words, knowledge and wisdom. So what we learn here is that these words are, are interchangeable here. So most people, when we think about this, this, this proverb, we say the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? What is wisdom? What do we, what do we mean when we say wisdom? Well, last week, if you're here, we talked about wisdom. Wisdom is street smarts. It is practical understanding for navigating life. Wisdom is practical understanding for navigating life. So how do I get through all the situations that don't have a biblical command to guide me? How do you deal with modern technology? How do you deal with modern day issues? How do you deal with all the stuff that's not going to be specifically mentioned in Scripture? That's easy. When we got morality going on, when we've got commands of the Lord, Ten Commandments, okay, that's easy. But what, what about all those questions that don't have very specific answers? Well, for that, you need wisdom. How do I navigate that? Well, that's practical understanding for navigating life. And that's what the Lord is offering us here. But secondly, look at the word here. It says the beginning of wisdom. What does that word beginning mean? Well, here the word means a foundation. This is the starting point. Okay, if you're going to have any wisdom in life, it is built upon the foundation of the fear of the Lord. If you want to have any sort of uh, chance of, of walking in the path of wisdom, then the starting point for you is the fear of the Lord. We have to begin here. Now, this is crucial for us because that's not how many of us live. For some of us, we say, Adam, I, I'm okay with the fear of the Lord, but we, we come to it late. We, we come to it after the fact. We don't start with the fear of the Lord. Some of you might have a story that runs like this. I, you know, Adam, listen, I got married, you know, I, I, we, we kind of got together and we, we had a relationship and we got married, we spent our first few years, and then finally when we had kids, we finally started going back to church. That, that's some of your story, because I've heard it before. And it's great that we've come back and we say, hey, I want to search after the Lord, but, but we kind of got things backwards, right? We came to the, the fear of the Lord later. You might say, hey, Adam, I just need to get my career started. Let me get my career started. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to figure some things out. I'll get my career started. And then once I get kind of settled with wherever I am, then I'll really start talking about eternal questions and like the bigger things of life. I'll get there, but let me get some stuff done and then I'll get to the fear of the Lord. Well, that's great that you're getting there, but you're getting there late. You're, you're doing it wrong. Like, we, we, this is not an afterthought. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We need to start here. Don't, don't come here later. Start with the fear of the Lord. If you want to live in wisdom, you have to start with this fear of the Lord. But that brings us to the word that really kind of trips us up. What does it mean when it says the fear of the Lord? Because let's be honest, that just sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? I mean, especially if you know Jesus Christ, if you have a relationship with the Lord, say, Adam, why would I fear God? I love him. He loves me. I have a relationship with him. He died on the cross for me. Adam, I, I cherish him. Why would I, why would I fear the Lord? And we need to really understand what this word means biblically because there's a very specific meaning that the Bible has when it uses this phrase, the fear of the Lord. Uh, now look, this fear, this, this concept is important. That's why we're taking so much time on it today uh, is because this concept of the fear of the Lord, this phrase shows up 14 times in Proverbs alone. You're gonna read it a lot as you read the rest of the book. It's also everywhere in scripture. You read the Bible, it is everywhere. More in the Old Testament than in the New, but it's everywhere, front to back. You're gonna find this concept of the fear of the Lord. But what does the Bible mean when it says it? 
Well, when you translate Hebrew, people translate a lot of different words in Hebrew as fear. In fact, there's 14 to 15 Hebrew words that English translations would just put fear. So think about that. We just see fear. There could be any one of 15 different words in the Hebrew that it's describing. So there's a lot of semantic range when it comes to this word. And this particular word means something specific. It does not mean scared, right? This word does not mean terror, right? To be, have fear of the Lord does not mean I'm afraid of him. As if God's looking to like jump out from behind a wall and ha, I'll scare you, right? I'm not required to have this towering or this cowering terror of the Lord, right? This is not a scared fear. Instead, there's something very specific and there's a few different aspects of this kind of fear. The first aspect is this, there ought to be a reverence and a respect for God. To have fear of the Lord means you ought to have a reverence and a respect for him. I ought to be able to recognize his grandeur, his majesty, his, his, his cosmic nature, it, just his authority, his power, his, his wisdom. He is so far beyond us. He is holy. He is different. You don't just traipse into the presence of a God like this. He is majestic. And it is right for us to feel a a respect, a a reverence in such majesty, in in the, the presence of such glory. There ought to be a respect level that he is God and I am not. We are in no way equals. And so I have a respect, a reverence, a deference that is due to the Lord. To have fear of the Lord is to recognize his grand nature. But here's the second aspect. The second aspect of the fear of the Lord is an awe and a wonder. But when we see this grandeur, we're not scared by it. We're actually drawn to it. There's like, a, there's like an awe and a wonder. Like, he's beautiful. He's incredible. He's more than anything. He's better than anything we have ever seen in every way imaginable. That We're drawn to him. We're not just mesmerized by his, his grandeur. We're also drawn to him, awe and wonder. Right, so this is the fear of the Lord, right? So I, I recognize, I have a reverence for him, but I'm also drawn to him in awe and wonder. Now, if you're listening there and you go, I don't know how those two things go together. I don't know if you can put those two things together. You really can. We, we do this often with different things. Uh, I used to do this with, with one of my hobbies. Uh, some of you guys may know this, but I had a weird hobby uh, back in the day. I used to love to chase storms uh, and to take pictures of lightning. Uh, I loved it, right? Uh, I just, I love watching lightning. I love taking pictures of lightning. And that is a hard thing to do. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit here, but I actually was doing this back in the day before we had digital cameras. And you had to do this with film, right? So I actually had a whole rig in the back of my car, had a tripod, had a camera. There's all these little tricks you got to use to kind of set it up. And you got to find a storm, get in the right spot, figure out where you think the lightning's going to be. And you have to set it all up. I, I mean, it was all this stuff. I loved it. It was tons of fun. Uh, because I'm just, I love lightning. I love storms. Because listen, when you stand out in front of a storm, you cannot help but feel small. You cannot help but recognize the vast power of a storm like that. When you see one of those lightning bolts cracking down in front of you, you think about the immensity of power that is being unleashed. And then you hear that monumental boom of the thunder as it just rolls over you. You cannot help but to feel small. But it's also beautiful. I mean, it's mesmerizing to watch it. 
I just can't help it. You just gotta, I find myself just going outside to, to, to see this thing. And so it's both of those things. I absolutely have a respect and a reverence for the immense power on display. You can't take that for granted. You can't be silly with it. But at the same time, it's beautiful. It's joyous. There's an awe and a wonder that's drawn in to, to following after it. And so I would, before my wife told me I couldn't do that anymore, I, I would do this. I, I have a child apparently and I can't do this anymore, right? So that's not a wise thing to do. That's what I learned, right? Uh, so, so listen, but I, I loved it. It was great. So you can have this reverence and this awe and wonder all at the same time. But, but here's where the illustration doesn't go far enough because there's a third aspect to this fear of the Lord. There's a love and a trust. When it comes to the fear of the Lord, there's a love and a trust. When it comes to a storm, I don't trust that storm. I can't control it. I don't know where it's going. And it does not have my best interest in mind. I have to respect that about the storm. But when it comes to the Lord, I can live in complete and open trust. Why? Because that God loves me. Because that God made me. That God knows my name. And he is good and he is perfect. And so I can live in complete trust of the Lord. I can surrender myself fully to him. Why? Because this is a God who knows me. And you say, well, Adam, how do you, how do you know that? How do you know that that's what it means in the fear of the Lord? Well, look at the end of the phrase. It's the fear of the Lord. Now, you might have skipped past that because like, well, yeah, it's just the Lord. No, no, no. Look at the word. In some of your translations, it's capitalized. That's on purpose. You see, this is not the generic word for God. In the Hebrew, the generic word for God is Elohim. If you just want to say God in Hebrew, you say Elohim, but that's not the word here. The word here is Yahweh. It's his personal name. This is the name that he gave to us. This is the name that he chose us. And he says, listen, I'm going to reveal myself to you. I want you to know me and I'm going to be your God and you're going to be my people. This is the name he gave to us when he made a covenant with us and created us as his people. He loves us. And so to have the fear of the Lord, we're saying, listen, this is a very specific God with a specific character who loves us, who is revealing himself to us. And so, yes, I can love him like he loves me and I can trust him completely because of who this God is is. So wrap all of it up together and you get the fear of the Lord. You've got a reverence and a respect. You've got an awe and a wonder and you've got a trust. That is the fear of the Lord. And when you understand that, verses start to make sense. So let me show you a couple of them here. Here's Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 12 and 13. Moses is writing here and look what he says. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. Okay, look at the top there. Here's what God requires of us. To fear the Lord your God, walk in his ways, and to love him. All right, well, I, I typically don't love somebody I'm afraid of. I'm scared of, I'm terrified by all right, but here you can have the fear of the Lord and love him and those are the same thing. Let me show you in another place. Here's Psalm 147 verse 11. It says, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, those in those who hope in his steadfast love. Now this one's even better because now we got poetry. Now we got a rhymed couplet. These are two synonymous lines. So who does the Lord take pleasure in? Those who fear him. Here's that same group of people. Those who hope in his steadfast love. All right, so to fear God is to hope in his steadfast love. Does that sound like being afraid? 
Does that sound like being terrified? No, he's saying, listen, to have a fear of the Lord is to have all this, where I have a reverence and a respect. You are God and I am not. But there's an awe and a wonder at your magnitude, but there's also a love and a trust because of who you are and what you have done. This is the fear of the Lord. What Proverbs is telling us is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to live a wise life, if you want to walk in a way of wisdom, it needs to start with this kind of fear of the Lord, this kind of relationship with him. You should know him, respect him, enjoy him. Okay, this fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, let's begin to apply that to all the things that we need help with. Because straight moral questions you don't need help with. The Bible is very clear on this. It gives us answers about this. But, but what about all the other questions that don't have strict answers? Should you buy a lake house? Should you move? Should you upsize or downsize? Should you take this job or quit your job or take a new job? How should you parent your children? Well, there's no one answer for all of those. There's no one specific thing you can say for all people in all places and all times. And so how do you get answers to these questions? Because they're real questions. How do you deal with social media? How do you deal with technology? How do you deal with this person? Should I cut this person off? Should I not? How do I deal with this kind of situation? Well, that's going to require wisdom. Wisdom helps us to navigate and find the best path in all of these situations. But the beginning of that wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So instead of just trying to figure out, okay, let's walk through, let's do a pro-con analysis, let's kind of figure this thing out. Instead of just using human wisdom to find an answer to these, we need to start with the fear of the Lord. And for all of us, there's just gonna be this constant temptation to not do that. We understand what God says and what God's word says, but then when we step outside of it or it gets kind of confusing, we just try to make up things on our own. And it's a good exercise for all of us, especially as we're going through the book of Proverbs, to remember we, it all goes back to the fear of the Lord. So there's four things we need to constantly be on our guard to remember. Four things that we always need to keep in mind as we're tackling all of these issues. That is God's existence, God's wisdom, God's judgment, and God's grace. Four things that we are apt to forget. God's existence, God's wisdom, God's judgment, and God's grace. And we need all of those. First off, let's look at this. We need to always constantly remember God's existence. If you're going to walk in wisdom, you must remember that God exists. Look at Psalm 141 verse 5 and notice what it says here. Or verse one, rather. Uh, no, it's 141, verse five. Uh, or maybe it's not. I think it's Psalm 14. I get it wrong. Uh, the fool, <laughs> sorry, I'm just, it's my notes. Uh, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. All right, the fool, remember, that's, that's Proverbs language. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. To ignore God's existence is going to lead you on a path of foolishness. What happens then? You do abominable deeds. You don't do good. You corrupt yourself. If we start with, I don't think that God is there. Now, some of you might be sitting here going, hey, Adam, I don't know if you've noticed, but this is quite literally the definition of preaching to the choir. Because I don't know if you recognize this, but we came to church today on purpose to worship God. So I think for all of us here, we can say, hey, we, we, we believe that God exists. And, and I know most of us, if not all of us, do. But, but here's the thing. Even though we profess that, when it comes into some of these thorny issues of life or the complex issues of life, we become functional atheists. 
because we don't talk to the Lord about it. We don't think about it. We don't pray about it. We don't consult him. We don't wrestle with this type of wisdom. We just try to figure it out on our own. We just do whatever we want to do. And this is what the world is pushing us towards. The world would say, that's the only thing you can do. Because Adam, the, 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 the ground of wisdom, the beginning of wisdom is you. You are the beginning of wisdom. You want to figure this out? You got to figure it out. You want to do with it? You do whatever you want to do. This is what our world says. Our world says it's everywhere and it makes no sense whatsoever. It's completely dumb, but they say it all the time. They say things like this. Adam, Adam, we, 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 you have to tolerate all opinions. You have to tolerate all opinions and all lifestyles and all things. You have to tolerate everything. Adam, that's the most, everybody gets to pick their own thing, right? But you have to tolerate everything. Everything must be tolerated. But, but if you are intolerant, then we can't tolerate that. We're not gonna tolerate that at all, right? You cannot be intolerant. So that view right there, that is antiquated and that is oppressive and we cannot tolerate it. But all opinions should be tolerated. Everyone's, we should tolerate everyone. But you, you are intolerant and we will not tolerate that. You hear it? You hear it? Or how about this? There's no absolute truth for everybody. Adam, everybody gets to define right and wrong for themselves. Adam, don't impose your Christianity on anybody else. There is no right and wrong that's for everybody. There's no right and wrong for everybody. Everybody gets to define their own right and wrong. Have you thought about this? That's not saying you should be free to do what you want. No, this goes farther. No, you get to define morality. You get to define right and wrong. Every person gets to define right and wrong for themselves. There is no absolute truth that covers everybody, right? Except for that thing I just said. That's absolutely true for everybody, all right? Everybody gets to make up their own rules and that's true for everybody. And if you disagree, you're wrong about that. But everybody gets to determine right and wrong for themselves. Everybody gets to define right and wrong except for you because you said that and that's wrong. You can't do that. You see, do you hear it? You hear it? It makes no sense. But this is what our culture is telling us. Our culture is telling us, hey, don't look to the Lord for wisdom. You are the beginning of wisdom. You define that. Follow your heart. (laughs) This is terrible advice and always has been. Why? Because our hearts are sinful. Our hearts are broken. We don't invent right or wrong. We don't have that right. We're not the beginning of wisdom. But this is what the enemy is gonna try to do every time. When you and I face temptation, and even if you believe in the Lord, and even if you love the Lord, even if you say, I have this fear of the Lord, what the enemy is gonna wanna do every single time is to make you act as if God doesn't exist. To put a temptation so close to your face that you literally cannot see the Lord anymore. You're not thinking about him. You're not taking him into account. You're only thinking about the temptation right in front of you. That great poet Bono, who heads the greatest rock band of all time, you too, don't don't challenge me on that, um, (laughs) has an old song called The Fly. Uh, and in that song, there's a guy writing, he's just kind of coming off the rails. He's just kind of going insane, and he's got this great line. Uh, He says, you know, the sun is sometimes eclipsed by the moon. You know, I don't see you when she walks in the room. Isn't that interesting? You know, the sun is sometimes eclipsed by a moon. Sun's massive and bright and brings light to the whole solar system, and for us, it can be eclipsed by a tiny, no-light moon. How is that possible? because the moon gets all in our vision and it blocks out everything else. That's temptation. This is what the enemy wants to do with all of us is to put something so in front of you that you don't even think about God's existence. 
You, you don't think about who he is. You're not thinking about it. And when you get tempted to, to spend more than you should, to make a, a decision that's probably gonna financially just really define and maybe possibly wreck your entire life, you're not even thinking about your relationship with the Lord. When you're tempted to cheat on your spouse, I mean, you're not thinking about the impacts this is gonna have, not just on your family, but on your kids for generations. How's it gonna affect your, your extended family and your, your workplace and your church and your community? You're not thinking about all of those ripple effects down the direction. You're only thinking about what's right here in front of your face. When you're thinking about just letting your anger just vent and you're thinking, it doesn't matter. I have to say this. I have to get it off my chest. Not thinking about the impact and the repercussions of that for, for maybe years, if not longer. You're not thinking about that because all I've got is this temptation right in front of my face. I have forgotten the very existence of God. The sun's been eclipsed by a moon. And this is what the enemy wants to do for all of us. And if you are making decisions saying, man, I just got to live in the moment, you will make terrible, unwise decisions in your life. Can I just go on record? Never live in the moment, ever. Do you know why this is terrible advice? Because you have millions more moments to live. Why would you ignore that? Why would you ignore the fact that you have so many more moments and just roll the dice on this one and ignore what's going on. No, I can live in this moment in light of the fact I got a lot more moments to live. I cannot forget the existence of God. So when it comes to navigating decisions in life, do you pray first? Do you consult him? So, so let's, take, uh, let's take something like one of the questions we said, should you buy a lake house? Let's say you've got the resources and the means to do that. Should you buy a lake house? There are some people who say, Adam, absolutely, it's a great investment. If you have the means to do so, you should absolutely do that. Other people who say, Adam, as a Christian, you should never do that. There's better ways to spend your money. You cannot ever do that. Well, you can't say either of those things. You can't. You can't say that one way or the other. The answer is going to be different for different people based on different circumstances. And it's going to take wisdom to figure that out. So should you buy this lake house or not? Well, then... Here's how we keep the existence of God in mind. Here's how we start with the fear of the Lord. We begin to say, all right, well then, what does God, how does God feel about this? Have I prayed about this at all? Have I sought godly counsel from other people? What do they think about it? Have I thought about how the purchase of this house is going to affect my life with other believers? How it's going to affect my community? How it's going to affect my, my, my family? How it's going to affect me financially and what that's going to do to me and what I can and cannot do. Do that. It might set you up to do a lot of things better. It might actually take things away where you, you can't. How this is going to affect you as far as your community with other believers. What might make it better. It might actually make it worse. I don't know what the answer is going to be for you. But if you even ask the question, that's starting with the fear of the Lord. Is saying, hey, I got to start with the fear of the Lord and say, God, what, what, what do you think for this stage of my life, for where I am? It doesn't matter what you did in somebody else's life. I mean, what would you want me to do? But I am thinking about you. I surrender to you. I, I am giving all my life to you. And so you help me navigate this out. Okay, that's recognizing God's existence. That's living in the fear of the Lord. But we also need to check out his wisdom. Well, I just need to remember God's wisdom. If I'm going to live in the fear of the Lord, I have to live in God's wisdom. Let's look at Proverbs chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. Look what it says here. It says, The Lord by wisdom founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open and the clouds dropped down the dew. All right, what are these verses saying? Well, it's reminding us of creation, that God made the world. Now, if you just read these in a clip, you may go, oh yeah, I got that, and just move right along. But remember, there's, there's a lot packed in here. Don't just run by. You say, Adam, you're doing it again. I believe that God made everything. 
I believe that God is the creator. That's great, but there's more here. Look what he says. The Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. By his knowledge, the deeps broke open. What is he saying here? He's saying that the Lord created the universe according to rules. He didn't just make it willy-nilly. He didn't just do a big bang and then go, let's see what happens and just let it go. He says, no, I did this in an orderly fashion. I created the universe on purpose. It runs according to specific rules. This is why the world is understandable. P.S., all science, whether scientists want to believe in God or not, all science is predicated on this fact. All science is predicated on the fact that the universe is understandable, that the universe runs according to certain rules and those rules can be understood. And even when scientists don't understand those rules, they know the rules are out there and if they keep studying and working and learning, they can discover them and then understand them because the world works, the universe works according to understandable laws. It didn't have to be that way. God could have made it chaos. It could have been nuts world. It could have been filled with magic where you couldn't bank on anything. Everything would be different every day and everything would be shifting and changing, but it's not. The world is understandable. You can predict some of the future because you're gonna, okay, these kind of things kind of happen. And so if you do this, that kind of thing is going to happen. Okay, everyone believes that on the physical level, but now recognize that the same God who created the physical world also created the spiritual world. He also created humanity. He created morality, all right? So the same God who created things in an understandable way is saying this, hey, I know how human beings flourish because I made them. I know best how human beings find joy in life because I made them for it and I know the path to get there because I made you on purpose. I know exactly how to do that. And so when it comes to finding wisdom, why would we look just to ourselves? Why would we look just to our culture? Why would we look to other people who are just as flawed as we are? Why would we not look to the one who created humanity in the first place and say, God, if you created all of us according to a pattern of understanding, wisdom, rules, then I need to look to you for wisdom because you know better. And when you and I deviate from that, this is where we not only get foolish, we end up wrecking our lives. Let me ask this. How many of you guys uh, drove here to, to church this morning? How many of you drove to church this morning? Lots of us drove to church, unless you live in beautiful Mount Laurel, which you can, all right? You can walk here, right? Or take a, a golf cart, right? But most of us, we, we drove here. We drove here in cars. Cars are amazing. Cars are wonderful. Uh, they, they are, they're very efficient. All right? I love my car, right? And when you put a car on a road, Man, it's awesome. You can get place fast. Uh, it's, you can cross mountains. It's awesome. But if you take that same amazing car and you try to run it on a lake, what's going to happen? That. That is what's going to happen. From the mouths of babes. All right, so it's going to sink because cars are not made to go in a lake. Now this car that is beautiful and amazing and efficient and all these things, not only is it useless, it's even dangerous and can take your life because cars are not meant to run on a lake. So don't do it. Well, why then would we take our souls and say, I can just run them however I want. I can run them wherever I want. What could happen? What's the worst that could go wrong? 
You could completely tank your life if you look at God's wisdom and says, no, I think I know better. I think I got this figured out. I think I can do this on my own terms. Okay, well, that is the opposite of wisdom. That is folly. And it will wreck your life. So when it comes to life, do you actually believe that God knows better? I didn't ask you whether you believed he was omnipotent. That's a question of theology. I'm asking a question of wisdom. Do you trust that God's will, even when you don't understand it, when you don't understand God's rules, you don't understand why the Bible says that. You don't understand. You say, Adam, I just don't understand how that could work in a modern world. You may not already understand it. Do you at least trust that God knows what he's talking about because he has wisdom that is far beyond ours? If I continually default to myself, then I have stepped out of the fear of the Lord. And now I'm just saying, well, I am the beginning of wisdom. And that will lead you to folly and destruction. You have to remember God's existence. You have to remember God's wisdom. Here's the third thing. You have to remember God's judgment. We have to remember God's judgment. We need to remember that there is coming a day when God will judge every single thing we have done. Think about that. There is coming a day where God is going to judge every thought we've ever had, every word we've ever said, everything we've ever done, and everything we didn't do that we should have done. There's a God who's going to bring judgment on that. And look, the writer of Proverbs kind of wrestles with this. Look at this. I'm going to show you three or four of these. Here's Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. He sees it all. Nothing is hidden from his view. No one gets away with it. Look at the next one. Here's Proverbs 16.5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. You might be doing something and going, I got away with it. You did not. The Lord says, you might seem to have gotten away with it, but there is a coming a day when I will bring judgment on everything that has been done. And every evil deed is going to be punished. Every single one. Don't doubt it. Here's the next one. Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. It's not just negative, it's also positive. There's also blessings. He says, hey, I know nobody else saw that, but I saw you how you helped out the group, how you helped out that person. I saw you how you did that. And dude, I don't, if anybody else missed it, I didn't miss it. And I'm gonna bring blessing on you because of your generosity. And then look at this last one. Here's Proverbs 21, verse two. He says, every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Now let that one sink in. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes. No one is the villain of their own story. You, me, no, no one is ever the villain of their own story. We're all the heroes of our own story. We like to think about ourselves that way. Even when we're doing wrong things, we will come up with reasons why it's okay for me because we're all the heroes of our own story. But the Lord says this, hey, I, I weigh the heart. You may think you're going on a right path. I know why you really did that. I know the motives of your heart and there's going to come a day of judgment for that. Now, the concept of judgment is a little bit offensive. It's not totally offensive. Most of us understand that we're going to be judged in this world. We're going to be judged by our coworkers. We're going to be judged by our neighbors. We're going to be judged by our friends. We're going to be judged by our family. You're going to be judged by your spouse. Like we recognize that people are going to make judgments about us. But when we hear that from other human beings, we almost take it as a challenge. And we go, well, fine, I will prove you wrong. I'm gonna show you who I am. I will be the best. And your judgment at the end of the day is gonna be, I was right and you were wrong. Right? I'm gonna be the best in this situation. We, we understand that we're going to be judged, but that last one, that's what gets us. 
Because the Lord says this, hey, I'm not gonna judge you based on what you think of yourself. I'm gonna judge you according to my standards. And that's what just, just throws us in overdrive. We get angry. Because we think, no, 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 as long as I'm true to myself, as long as I do what I thought was right, as long as I did it and I thought it was okay, that's gotta be good enough. And God said, it's not. Because I exist and I made you and you didn't create this universe. And so look, if you created the universe, you're probably not gonna get judged. You can take care of your own universe. So if you are living in the universe that you created, good for you. Have at it, that is great. But if you did not make this universe, guess what? The God who did can judge you. And he will. Everything you and I have done is going to be judged, not based on what we think is right or we think is good, but based on what he thinks is right and what he thinks is good. Now that changes things, does it not? Because look, if you know that you're gonna be graded, that's gonna change how you act. Do you ever take a pass-fail class? You ever take one of those back in school? They had these classes sometimes. If you've never taken one, there's pass-fail classes. They're typically intro classes and you didn't have to make an A, you just didn't have to fail, which is kind of fun, right? But imagine how hard people work in a pass-fail class. Not much, right? Because you get the same outcome for a D minus and an A plus. You can do D minus work and get the same result as a guy who worked at A plus, fine. I'm probably gonna give you D minus effort in that situation. Imagine a class that had no rules and no grades. Imagine that. They'll never take attendance and they'll never give you a test. They'll give you a test, but they'll never grade it. And they say, hey, just show up. We're gonna do a class. You pass no matter what. We want you to show up at 8 a.m. and go to this class and then we're gonna give you a test, but we'll never grade them. But take the test anyway. Would you show up for that class? You would not, I will prophesy. You will not. <laughs> would you take that test? No, you would not. Or if you did, you just go, see, 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 see. It doesn't matter. You pass. It doesn't, you're not gonna put any effort in. There's no great. When you recognize, hey, guess what? I don't just get to live my life and do whatever I want and assume there's no consequences. No, there's gonna be a judgment for everything I've done for how I've lived my life, for how I spent my resources. That's my money, my time, my influence. I'm gonna be, how am I? I'm a father, a husband, a friend, a pastor. I'm gonna get judged on all of that. And so will you. Have you thought about that? If you say, Adam, I just don't believe that. It does not matter if you do not believe that. It is going to happen. When I live in the fear of the Lord, I have to recognize, hey, there's a day I, I gotta make an account of all I've done. I don't need to ignore God's judgment. But here's the final thing. Don't forget God's grace. Don't forget his grace. You see, that last point might sound terrifying because if we're honest, you'd say, well, then Adam, I got no hope because I'm a fool. Adam, I've already made foolish decisions in my life and I can guarantee you that I will probably make more foolish decisions in my life. Even if I try to be wise, I know because I got a broken sinful heart, I'm probably gonna make more problems. I'm gonna make more mistakes. And so Adam, if I'm gonna be judged from what I've done, I have zero hope. That's terrifying. And the writer of Proverbs figured that out too. Look at this. This is Proverbs 20 verse nine. Who can say, I have made my heart pure and I am clean from my sin? He figured it out too. Solomon's writing in the wisest guy around and he says, I can't do this all the time. I can't be right all the time. There's nobody who can be completely and totally wise. And so if I'm gonna be judged by this righteous God, what hope do I have? 
And God gave him a glimpse of the future. Look what he says a little bit later on. Or actually earlier, Proverbs 16, verse 6. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity, that sin, is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Those two words, steadfast love and faithfulness, those are, that steadfast love is one word in Hebrew. Uh, those two things, those are two of the primary characteristics of God when he gives us his name in Exodus. He says, I am a God who has steadfast love and faithfulness. Steadfast love is his loyal love, his covenant love, his love that never quits even when we do. It's an unconditional love that he just pours out on top of us. But his faithfulness means that I will always be faithful to the truth. I will always be faithful to my righteousness to my holiness. I cannot abandon that at all. So how do you have a God who has unconditional love for foolish sinners like us, but has to constantly be faithful to himself who cannot in any way brook unrighteousness? Because the brighter knows by steadfast love and iniquity or faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And even though he didn't fully understand it, hundreds of years later, this very same Lord is gonna send his son, Jesus Christ. And when Jesus Christ gets here, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't come on the scene and says, okay, guys, I'm going to show you how it's done. You guys didn't get it from like the hundreds of years prior and all the books of the Bible I sent. Let me show you, all right? This is a wise life. This is how you do it. So got it? Now try harder. Get better. Do it right this time. You got it? And then head back up to heaven. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus comes on the scene lives a completely wise life, and then he says this, you guys are sitting under the very judgment of God, and you're foolish, so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna go to the cross, and I'm gonna take all of that judgment for you. All of the judgment that you and I deserve, Jesus says, no, 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 give that to me. Give that to me. And he, all of it gets poured out on Jesus Christ, and then all of the blessing that ought to come from somebody who lives a completely wise life, Jesus just hands that to us. This is why, by the way, if you grew up religious, you grew up just going to church, you grew up just doing the rules, you grew up just trying to be a really good person, but you've never had a relationship with the Lord. You've never recognized that God is not just a force out there. He's not just a list of rules. He's not just a system. He's not just a, a religion to be espoused. He says, no, he's real. He has a name and he loves me. And guess what? I am really in trouble because I have ignored him. But that God came after me even when I was foolish. And then he gave his life on the cross for me. And I can know him because he loves me. And so God, I have this fear of you now. I see you. I recognize I'm a sinner and I'm wrong. But I also see that you love me. And so God, I trust you. I give you everything. Everything You surrender your life to a personal God and you have a real relationship with him. Unless you got that, you have completely missed the point. You have missed everything because religion will never save you. But the God who created everything, who is wise, who is eternal, who is judging, but also gracious, is offering you eternal life in his son, Jesus Christ. And when you and I live in him and say, God, now I have a fear of you. I want to walk in your ways. I want to love you. I want to enjoy you. I want to let you point me in the right direction. I want you to show me what I need to do. I want you to show me where to go. When I live in the fear of the Lord, that's where you actually find wisdom. And so here's my question this morning. 
Are you walking in the fear of the Lord? With all the practical decisions you got to make, all the things you're having to navigate, are you living in the fear of the Lord? As we've described it, that reverence and respect and awe and a wonder and the love and the trust that you can have in a God who loves you or are you still trying to do things on your own? Could today be the day you make a choice to say, God, I can't fix myself, but I choose to put my trust in you and to follow after you. Change me, help me, guide me in the path of wisdom. That is living in the fear of the Lord. So bow your heads and close your eyes with you if you would. And with heads bowed and eyes closed, just ask yourself that question. Are you living in the fear of the Lord? You don't, you don't have to tell me or anybody. But the Lord knows. And let's be honest, you do too. I wonder if the Lord might be waking up some of us today and say, Adam, I, I, I believe in the Lord. I, I come to church. I, I thought I was on the right path. But when I look at my, my decision making, man, beyond a, a couple major rules I follow, man, I'm, I'm just doing whatever I want. Act how I want, talk how I want, spend how I want, live how I want. I don't think about them at all. Well, no wonder life's not working out how you thought. Might for a little bit. But it won't fully. That's a path to folly and destruction. But it doesn't have to. The Lord is offering you a path to life that comes not through your own effort. It comes through a relationship with him. Maybe today you need to surrender to that for the very first time and give your life to him. Just put your trust in him and say, I gotta get it. I'm sorry. But I need you to love me and I need you. I believe. I trust you. I'll follow you. Or maybe you're here today, say, Adam, I'm a believer, but, but I have been making up my own rules and I've been trying to create my own system and it's wrong. And I came up with my excuses, but I see that they're, they're not wise. They're not based on the fear of the Lord. And Lord, today I need to repent and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry. Help me. Cleanse me and help me to walk in a way of wisdom. Just a moment, I'm going to pray for us and we have a chance to respond in song. You can come and pray with me or pray at the front, but the most important thing is just for us to respond. Don't keep walking in the path of wisdom. Begin with the fear of the Lord. So Father, thank you. I am so thankful you are patient with fools like me. Fools like all of us. Because Lord, we are, we're not okay on our own and we make up dumb excuses. And yet you don't give up on us and you so could. So God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for what you give to us. And God, in these moments, would you guide us into the path of wisdom? We love you, Lord. In your name we pray.